episode of the Primate Talk podcast, I am joined by my friend Sankalp Chonda to talk about the world of startups and building profitable SaaS businesses. Having done his B.Tech from Manipal University, Sankalp started his career with working at multiple startups as a software developer responsible for scaling up things. Quickly figuring out that he could put his skill set in an independent endeavor and gain more autonomy, financial or otherwise, he quit his job and partnered with one of his friends to double with the world of startups and entrepreneurship. After figuring out what they needed to work on, owing to their previous failures which came from their earlier endeavors, in April of 2019, Sankalp along with his co-founder Preetam launched Superlemon, a WhatsApp communication tool for Shopify stores, and grew it to $25,000 in monthly recurring revenue by June 2020. After a whopping success with Superlemon, Sankalp and his co-founder launched Delight Chat, an omni-channel customer support tool which serves as a unified portal for managing support queries in chat marketing, which is also their latest and ongoing venture. In his spare time, Sankalp likes to build open source projects that solves small but recurring problems. Join me to discover Sankalp's entrepreneurial journey and the nitty-gritty of building an online SaaS business. We're live. All right, Sankal, first of all, welcome to the podcast. I am really excited to have you here, primarily for two reasons. I haven't done podcasting in a long while, at least for six months, because life got in the way. So welcome to the first episode of our Back from the Dead series. (laughs) And (laughs) I'm also all the more excited to uncover your journey, especially in terms of what you've achieved so far in your business endeavors, and look at what you have in store for us. So the idea with the talk is to take all that you guys have done in the past couple of years, go back in time and try to form a narrative from the timeline in which things occurred and then get into the specifics or I'm loosely using this metaphor, but the curvy linears of your journey. So welcome to the podcast, Ankal. Thank you so much, first of all, for having me. I've not been on a podcast before. So I'm really excited and nervous also. I hope I don't say something stupid. <laughs> no, but no, no, no. yeah, thank you for having me. I'll, I'll try to do the best that I can. Yes, you don't have to feel nervous. This is just a casual chat between two friends who haven't met in a long time and just are trying yeah. to catch up with each other. All right. So Sankal, uh, I'll, I'll start with how parts of 2019 and 2020 were about your success with Super Lemon, a WhatsApp chat button that essentially enabled businesses to talk to their customers through WhatsApp, which you guys drove to a whopping $25,000 in MRR, which is also monthly recurring revenue for those of you who do not know what that is. And then while working on the same, you guys stumbled upon a problem that had been prevalent in the e-com industry, which is basically the chaos of running an e-com store that businesses were facing. Because of which, the DelightChat.io was born, a customer service and a marketing tool. Through DelightChat, you're helping brands like Fabric Pundit, Nastasia, Pastush, and my favorite, Sleepy Owl. The moment I heard Sleepy Owl, I was like, oh my God, these guys, I have to bring them on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. The Sleepy Owl thing is pretty cool because we are their customers and they are our customers. They're your so that, customers. That, that's pretty cool. <laughs> And I'm aware that a lot of things are going around uh, what you've created, uh, but you guys are a little silent as of now, like kind of playing it low key. So talk to us about what's going on right now. Yeah, so the the reason, there's a reason why we've been silent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because things have not gone well for us in the past, in, mm-hmm. in the last year. Things are good now, but last year uh, we made a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. 
uh, first of all we assumed that this market was uh, not was not saturated and the, the competitors that were already in the market were not full fledged tools so it seemed to us that there was a room for us to enter and take over part of the market that was unfortunately not true mm-hmm. uh we were primarily competing with the us market uh on 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 the customer support side of things mm-hmm. and we just assumed that if we offered a price that was half of what the competitors were offering try to make the tool a little more easy to use Mm. uh we 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 could steal a lot of customers from them uh we we learned some very harsh truths along this journey first of all the us market does not work in this way where they they evaluate tools based on the price right the way they think is they're okay to pay how much ever is needed to be paid as long as the tool offers them exactly what it's supposed to offer mm-hmm. so that price difference that we had didn't really make that much of a dis- uh, difference okay and secondly uh it turns out that us market uh has a very different uh, way of doing things uh for instance we we weren't able to we we, we couldn't we couldn't figure out how to acquire them uh like one, one example that i can give you is we we had this guy take a look at our website and to, just to tell us what was wrong and why why aren't we getting as many customers as i thought we would get and he pointed out a very simple thing he said your your copy is in victorian english mm. an american that would read this would subconsciously know that this is not an american company it's an indian company masquerading as an american company and and then he would churn immediately oh so when we heard that we realized that it's not just that there are a lot more nuances Mm-hmm. to sell to an american customer which mm-hmm. we are not aware of and we could try and learn all of those nuances but it will probably end up taking another 6 months or a year or something just to understand what a american customer mm-hmm. is looking for okay. uh that that was a big realization and the other thing was we thought we we made a tool that was easy to use but easy to use also turns out to be very subjective yeah so uh, it all the tools that were our competitors uh when you start using them there's a learning curve mm. there's an initial learning curve that you have to get over mm. uh, and then you can start using a tool in a full fledged way that learning curve existed with our competitors it exists with us also mm. and once you're past that learning curve it doesn't really matter if our ui is more jazzy and uh, mm. better looking or anything like that because the initial learning curve is the same so this that easy to use was also not not a very tan- and tangible thing as we thought it was okay so so there was a lot of existential crisis going on mm-hmm. within the company that like, what are we doing we all our assumptions were wrong we are not acquiring customers uh and the competitor is way more advanced than what we initially thought uh and because of all this re- all this we couldn't we stopped writing also because we we suddenly we had a lot of self doubt and we were like we don't know enough stuff that we start writing and tell other people what to do we haven't figured out our our own stuff yet mm-hmm. so that's been happening for the past year uh but towards the end of the year uh, things we suddenly got a lot of clarity mm-hmm. we realized that we are competing in the wrong market mm-hmm. uh we won't survive in the us market because it will take us a, a long time just to figure out how to sell it to them in a way that an american customer would even come and start using our tool okay once they start using you have to convert them also but the first step itself is not happening so mm-hmm. this isn't going to work out uh 
Mm-hmm. Then we started looking at uh, with the tool that we already had, which is an omni-channel inbox, mm-hmm. where uh, all your uh, communication channels like Instagram, Facebook, uh, WhatsApp, email, everything is in one place. Uh, so it's an omni-channel inbox. What other market is is out there that needs an omni-channel inbox where the competitors have not yet uh, made a name for themselves? People are still trying things out and nobody really knows what exactly the customer wants. And interestingly, we found out that in the Indian market, there was this requirement for an omni-channel inbox tool, uh, which also does marketing automation on top of WhatsApp. Okay. Mm-hmm. So a lot of D2C brands, including the ones you just mentioned, Fabric mm-hmm. Pundit, Sleepy Earl and all, they all do their marketing through WhatsApp right now. Right. Uh, they send uh, promotional messages on WhatsApp. They do. Yes. And uh, yeah, you, I'm sure you've received a yes. lot of yep. promotional messages. And earlier, because <laughs> yeah, I've been reading my personal life, but yeah, I <laughs> here's a little I'm secret aware. for you: you can blog them as much as you want, but the messages will keep coming. Okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and because earlier WhatsApp used, if you blog or report, WhatsApp would take action, mm-hmm. but they stopped doing that now. Okay. Uh, we, they've made it easier to send promotional messages on WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. So WhatsApp might end up turning into an SMS. Mm-hmm. And we realized that we are just in the cusp of uh, where WhatsApp is still a very private thing for people. But a few years later, it will end up becoming like SMS. And we are yes. right in the middle of that mm. uh, transition. And that's we really realized, yeah. So that's when we realized we should make use of this transition. We should make use of this uh, unique position that we are in. Mm-hmm. And and then we fumbled, and within a month, we ended up building a basic version of a marketing automation tool on top of WhatsApp, mm-hmm. uh, right. where people could send uh, upload a CSV file with a bunch of phone numbers mm-hmm. and send a promotional message to all of them. Mm-hmm. With, without having to do any segmentation or any complicated uh, applying any complicated filters, just upload a file and everybody in, in the file gets a message. The moment we did that, uh, our signups have increased, our demos have increased, our MRR started growing finally. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was stagnant the whole of last year, it didn't grow only. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it finally started growing. So that's when we realized that, okay, there there is something here. We still don't know exactly what it is. We, and we are still unsure of the business economics because for every message we send over WhatsApp, we have to pay WhatsApp uh, for that. So then we uh, pass on that cost to our uh, customers. Hmm. But we also have to make money in the process. So we are still trying to figure out what uh, business model works. But it seems like there is some traction here. Right. And we are going to continue to pursue it. And if it turns out well for us, then maybe we'll start writing again. Right. Okay. But, but yeah, like so. you mentioned, Sankalp, about the US market. And if in the future you were to expand somewhere, right? Uh, I know that you uh, like still figure, ha- haven't figured it out completely. But then what would those other nuances rather than dis- decreasing your price look like? Just on a high level, yeah. you know, pointer basis. What would those nuances look like? What would those things look like that people need to focus on? Uh, in order to compete in a market like that? It, it's actually a very, uh, it's not a very tangible thing. These nuances are very hard to explain. Uh, mm-hmm. For instance, there, there's this one tool, uh, I forget the name. Uh, their website copy said something like military grade 
product or something like that. Okay. Uh-huh. So when you say military grade, right? Mm. They immediately you form this perception that it's it must be super resilient. Mm. Uh, so you need to use terms like that in your branding and in your website copy. That okay. is one thing. Uh-huh. And the other thing is uh, there's a fundamental difference between Indian market and the US market. Generally, how the US market functions is. they are okay to use 10 tools to do 10 different things mm-hmm. as long as each tool does it what it's supposed to do very well right they don't mm-hmm. care if uh, as long as the, if, if they subscribe to a saas tool that's supposed to do one job as long as it, it does that job really well they're okay to pay extra also for it mm-hmm. and they're okay to have 10 use 10 different products for for doing 10 different things but the way indian market works is they're okay if a tool is buggy Mm-hmm. they're okay if it is not as not military grade uh, mm-hmm. so to speak but the tool should do 10 things mm-hmm. so okay. all the, all the 10 different products which a us person would use individually all of that functionality should, within some capacity should exist in one tool one oh, okay. and they just want to look at one dashboard uh, throughout the day they want to do their work on that and and go home and they don't, don't want to keep 10 different tabs open right so that's another nuance uh, with the us market if you're if you're targeting the us market i would recommend not building a product that has uh, that by definition has to do a lot of things mm-hmm. uh, instead pick a product which only needs to solve one problem really well yeah like mm-hmm. we are, we are, we currently have to solve multiple problems we have we have a support inbox we have our marketing automation side of things within support inbox also email is treated in a different way because email works in the way like every thread is a new email mm-hmm. uh, whereas a whatsapp conversation uh, once you start a conversation with someone that it's just one thread and that one thread th- keeps going on right, right. so mm-hmm. there's a lot of nuances and uh, the the product gets complicated very quickly and you need to be good at a lot of things at the same time mm-hmm. so such kind of a product uh, to work in the us market is it it can happen of course people have done it but you would have to work extra hard to make okay. that happen but do you think the geographical proximity i i see, it might seem a little far fetched but geographical proximity to that location like a us would serve better would help you understand the market better or you know uh, the you know it can be done virtually as well but only with a little extra hard work i think it i do believe it can be done virtually Mm-hmm. the only advantage th- the geographical thing has is uh, the time zone mm-hmm. so you need to be available in right. the night to to speak to somebody from the us and understand their problems so if you're willing to sacrifice sleep or hire somebody else who's mm-hmm. being who's going to do that for you then i think i think it's very much doable a lot of people have done it in fact uh, sitting in india serving the us market making money in dollars and spending that money in rupees that's the dream actually that yeah. i would i would say that's the indian dream indian dream <laughs> right <laughs> yeah nice okay and uh, i think it's doable mm-hmm. you just need to find the right product and the right market no so now in all of this uh, sankal you two growing these small businesses solving specific problems and you know facing your own share of challenges and you know uh, figuring out how to come about them i want to come to you and what role you play to provide momentum to things so for the most part of your life you have handled the tech side of things 
which is yeah. why you're also the CTO of Delight Chat. You love building open source projects that solve recurring problems, writing code, and enabling scalable scalability. So now I'm gonna you know go back into the into your timeline. Uh, given all of this, uh, I want to understand when you stood at the end of your college degree and decided mm-hmm. that instead of working for a corporate, you're going to work for a startup. And that's also been covered in your story. Um, keeping aside the fact that people vilify corporates, how did you objectively compare the two and decide to apply for startups? When earlier on, most people often don't know what they want to do or they decide to go whatever, wherever the current takes them, like yours truly. Uh, what factors and mindset enable you to take that decision confidently? Uh Actually, the, I mean, you might find the reason very stupid, but mm-hmm. uh, the, the original reason why I didn't want to get into corporates is because I couldn't crack their interviews. And oh. the reason being, they would ask questions in their interviews, which I can't answer. But if you give me enough time to Google, mm-hmm. I can I can come up with a solution. But they expect you to answer in that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas when I applied for startups, the model was more like I'll give see I'll give you an assignment. You mm-hmm. can take a weekend or um, X amount of hours to do it uh, mm-hmm. in the way that you see fit. Mm-hmm. And uh, after you come back with a solution, we'll talk. Right. That gave me an idea of how it would be. The, the interview process itself gave me an idea of what it would be like to work over there. Mm-hmm. In corporate, you're, you're expected to have a lot of inherent knowledge, and mm-hmm. you need to know a lot of things. You you need to know how to write code to optimize for speed and memory and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anything about that. I was not very good at uh, like academically. Mm-hmm. But my whole point was, why do I need to know that? Uh, somebody who's way smarter than me has already solved that problem. Mm-hmm. I can just look at their solution and copy it, right? Why do mm-hmm. I need to reinvent the whole wheel and learn mm-hmm. how to do that? As long as I know... Uh, in an abstract way, what needs to be done. Mm. For example, when you're using an app, uh, you press a button, you don't need to know what the button does internally right after you press it. Right, yes. So I, I wanted to be the guy who just presses the button. Mm-hmm. And that didn't seem like it, it would be possible to be that way if I had joined a corporate. Uh-huh, okay. Uh, but in startups, that you are expected to be that way. You're expected to just take time, find a way to solve problems by hacking together things which other people have already done and stringing them all together like Lego pieces and come up with a solution. Mm -hmm. And that was much more appealing to me. So that was the main reason uh, why I wanted to join a startup instead of going to a corporate. Mm -hmm. There there were other other smaller reasons as well. Like uh, it it seemed to me like the growth would be a lot better at a startup because you you would actually be building something that uh, would go out into the real world, people would start using that. And when they give you feedback, uh, good feedback or bad feedback, uh, it, it gives you this feeling that, okay, they're actually, they actually used uh, the code that I've written. Mm-hmm. And now they have feedback and now it's my responsibility to make it better. Uh, you won't get that in a corporate because you're, you'll be a small cog in a, in a huge machine. So whatever work you do would, would get diluted uh, I guess and you won't really know what it feels like to uh, the stakes would be very low right you wouldn't you don't yes. have to worry less skin, you, in you the just, game. less skin yeah. in the game you just do what you're told and even if you screw up your manager will probably review your code and be like change this change mm-hmm. that and you're fine 
uh, I guess that would have been a more comfortable route to take, but uh, I, I felt like that was not the right path because uh, mm-hmm. the growth would just not be there. I, I just didn't see that happen. Yeah. And you did work yeah. at uh, multiple startups as a developer and an engineer, uh, like Greedy Game, Good Box, and Findelim Tech Labs. But you had been handling back-end, front-end, and sometimes even full-stack development with the intent of scaling up things from an infrastructure point a standpoint. So now I want to capture this, uh, you know, transition that uh, happened around 2017, I guess, when you sort of left your uh, 17 or 20, when you left the, your startup and then, you know, you decided to get into your entrepreneur, entrepreneurial yeah, journey. Yeah, that would be the beginning of 2019, actually. Beginning of 2019, yeah. yes. So how does all the experience that you accumulated in these six years, uh, roughly six years, starting from 2014, uh, uh, you know, working with these multiple startups and then spill into you taking up entrepreneurship. How did that experience spill into you, uh, into taking entrepreneurship, which was the yeah. next stage of your life? Was there an epiphany or a host of other micro variables that enabled you to take this up? Uh, so, uh, while I was working for all these startups, it never felt like I was an employee who was who's expected to do a certain uh, task and go home. It felt I had this sense of ownership. It felt like I I, I owned that startup and I, mm-hmm. I worked in that way only. Mm-hmm. So when I was already doing that one day, I just realized that, you know, I'm already working like I own this, like this is mine. And if, if the stakes are really high, mm-hmm. might as well start my own thing because I would probably do the same thing there also. Right. Uh, and if it's my, if it's actually my own thing, then that's, that's even better because the amount of work I'm putting in is still the same. Mm -hmm. And I see, especially in greedy game, uh, uh, it was an ad tech company. So Mm -hmm. the, the the code that I would write literally would translate into money and Mm -hmm. I could, I would, I would see the dashboard every day and be like, okay, what I did made this much for for the company. Mm -hmm. And then it stuck me that why if i'm making money for them then i why why to why why is it that the money is going to them and then, and then it's coming to me why 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 not just cut out the middleman right <laughs> so, <laughs> so that that epiphany also happened and uh, regarding the experience that i've gained over the years that's it's, i i think this experience helped me to uh, start off so when you when, when you're building a new product uh, there are a lot of variables and because I've worked in a lot of companies before, I, I knew what was the starting point. I, mm-hmm. I knew how to get off like uh, the start. Generally, people have this momentum problem in the beginning, right? Right. And once you're in, in the middle of something, it's easy to move forward because the momentum will keep you going. Mm-hmm. But starting something is hard because you don't know where to start from. You what, what tech stack should you use? Do you want to use it? Should you use AWS or should you use something else? Do you mm-hmm. pay for SaaS tools or do you build it yourself? Mm-hmm. Uh, what open source uh, technologies can you use versus uh, mm-hmm. building your own thing? Mm-hmm. All all these questions, uh, which would slow down somebody who's just starting off. I had the advantage of uh, not doing that. I, I knew what exactly okay. needed to be done to start mm-hmm. to uh, build a product and put it out there. Mm-hmm. Once it's out there, uh, I actually don't know. what I didn't know what was going to happen, what was mm-hmm. in store and how we were going to proceed from there. But this ex- experience helped me get started without too much of friction. Right. And does that even tie to uh, this particular thing that I think you had mentioned in your story 
the fact that none of your family members were entrepreneurs, both you and Pritam. Uh, I also want to understand how individuals break through, um, and I'm taking the liberty to make this term up for the lack of a better word, the Very ancestral fair. trend that pervades their lineage. If your ancestors have been businessmen, you're more likely to follow suit. You're less likely yeah. to see a deviation from the norm, like a scientist in a family of, uh, you know, that, that's been running shoe business. So yeah. uh, it, it, does that also tie to that is fact that enabled you to break the pattern? What, what is that exactly that enabled you to break that pattern? Um, again, the, the answer for this also might be very petty, but I was just being a rebel. Uh, my, my my grandmother had this thing that uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't get into business. My dad was in business and he got cheated. And like no matter you're forbidden to do this, and I didn't like the word forbidden. I'm like now I'm going to do this only. Yeah. Uh, that that was a major driving factor. I'm not gonna say that was the main thing, but that was a major driving factor. Mm-hmm. But uh, breaking free was possible because throughout my life I've only stayed in my house till I was 16, 17, I guess. Mm-hmm. After that, I've been away. I, I went to I went to Manipal to study and then I moved to Bangalore. Mm-hmm. So for the last 10 years, I've not been at home. Uh, I've not been around the environment where everyone's talking about a government job or right. keep playing it safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, not... I've been around people. I'm staying in Bangalore, you're around people who are hustling, yeah. trying to be entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. try, trying to do something different. So I, I've only been influenced to, to that sort of a crowd mm-hmm. uh, for, for a period of almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it it was not, it felt very natural actually mm-hmm. to become an entrepreneur. It didn't feel like I'm breaking away from the traditional right. thing which my family did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it felt very natural by virtue of the environment that I was in in, in the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if I had stayed at home, I would the environment would be very different and then maybe I wouldn't have taken this path yes got it so the the company that you are around uh, makes a lot of difference yeah especially Uh, during those years when your brain is still at a formative age like still you know gathering impressions learning things so yes yeah I think that makes complete sense no it's not petty (laughs) the answer makes complete sense (laughs) yeah yeah so I, even like Preetam, my co-founder, we, even back when we were friends, when we had no uh, plans of starting something mm-hmm. together, we would only talk about the startup world and what what kind of products are people building, yep. what what market is slowly taking off and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it just felt like if not today, if not tomorrow, someday we're going to start something of our own. It's just inevitable. Right. Yes. Yeah. So it just felt very natural. Yeah. So that that transition itself, uh, before we capture that, that's when I actually want to touch a bit on what your business is all about. And although you and Preetam have covered it extensively in your blog post, uh, the links to which I will provide in the show notes, I guess we can discuss it enough to acquaint someone who is unknown to the space. And so that, you know, if they have skills or they have, you know, they can leverage that environment that you guys leveraged uh, to, you know, sell your own products in the virtual space. But before we get into that, uh, for informational purpose, I'll I'll start with the evolution of software because I thought, you know, it's worth discussing the the entire evolution of software before we get into this. And then probably you could just provide us a preamble into uh, what that is all about. And I'm going to get into that. You could say uh, the evolution of st- uh, software started with the introduction of personal computers in the 80s. And it is said that it happened with the entry of Macintosh or Apple II. 
sort of uh, it sort of sort of led the way for software because people were like okay we have this cool technology but what do we do with it <laughs> that's when companies right. like adobe started innovating in this space the first instances of software were word processing programs and visicalc a spreadsheet program so software became a lifestyle and then fast forward to the 90s the advent of the internet gave it a boost soon uh you know around vc vc is just handing out checks sometimes giving people more money than they are even asking for seeing it as the most scalable entity then you know the dot com bust happened and that's just part of the story so over the time we see software becoming a business model and it owes itself to a variety of limitations with the traditional licensing model and certain infrastructural limitations so saas software as a services is born which is nothing but software licensed on a recurring basis typically monthly hosted on cloud and usually accessed via web or a mobile app for performing endless number of things under the sun but there's more to this timeline and only recently have we seen micro saas in the picture and since you were one of the first people uh, you and pritham i've heard this from and i think it's still new to the picture not really old like still relatively new to the technological you know uh, the progress that has been going on i guess you could give us a preamble on what it is and how you are leveraging the space to build your own businesses sure so you want me to talk about microsas microsas yes you could talk about yeah. that yeah uh so microsas it's it's a it's a little hard to define it but i i i i'll try and give give you all the characteristics that would constitute a microsas so one characteristic is a microsas can be typically built launched marketed everything by one single person mm-hmm. and it's something that where the the mvp of the product the first version of the product wouldn't take longer than a month mm-hmm. uh, even if it's one or two people working on it mm-hmm. so finding something like that is would be the first step mm-hmm. uh, a microsas is generally built on top of some other huge platform mm-hmm. uh, like we did with shopify yeah so that you don't need to spend bandwidth marketing your product you can just list yourself on the app store or uh, whatever marketplace where people are already searching there's mm-hmm. already traffic coming there and you're just displaying your product there that takes away not having to market your product is a very huge thing which mm-hmm. we didn't have before mm-hmm. uh before all these platforms like shopify came through mm-hmm. it was not possible to just focus on developing the product you you also had to focus on marketing it yeah. finding uh, finding an audience that needs it mm-hmm. now that part has been uh, taken off which means a developer who doesn't have much idea about how to put their product in front of uh, the target audience this person now has a much uh, lesser resistance to uh, build and launch something mm-hmm. uh, so that that's another thing and a microsas typically solves as the name suggests it it solves one very small specific problem which uh, generally would not be solved by a very huge uh, saas product mm-hmm. because because it it's not in the interest of a big saas product to solve tiny problems that are faced by a small niche uh, group of people right mm-hmm. so and that's a opportunity for uh a developer who's willing to spend maybe 3 4 hours a day uh just solving that particular use case mm-hmm. and making a few bucks a month right uh th- but there are some caveats also to to 
microsas mm. uh one the major one being uh there's a high churn mm. churn is basically people who start paying for your product but then they leave uh, after a while yeah. Be- because your product solves a very small need mm. it is unlikely that this need will exist throughout the while and uh as and when a business grows they'll start using a bigger product that's meant to solve most of their needs uh, and then they don't need you anymore mm-hmm. so you might get a lot of volume of people uh, trying to use your product but they would also leave very quickly and generally the ticket size or the arpu the average revenue per user as we like to call it is usually very low mm-hmm. in our case uh, with superlemon it was about 9 SaaS company uh, it takes 1 2 years just to set up an engine to acquire customers mm-hmm. who will stay with them uh, understanding their needs and tailoring your product towards uh, towards that need and hence you may not make any money in the first 1 year or 2 years mm-hmm. but after that uh, your revenue might grow exponentially mm-hmm. so in a traditional SaaS you would need a a decent amount of upfront capital or you should be okay with not making any money in the beginning mm. uh and you you have to constantly look at the big picture otherwise mm. you have to you can't keep going because if you don't see revenue coming in every day uh, you might think your business is fading mm. but you need to tell yourself that uh it's not failing you're just trying to find product market fit and it'll it'll start working after mm. a year or two mm. so constantly having to see the big picture could be very exhausting and it could also discourage a lot of people from starting businesses yeah mm-hmm. that is not there with microsoft mm. the feedback loop is pretty instant mm. the moment you launch something uh, people will start using it and if they need it enough they'll start paying for it so within a couple of months you might start making revenue you you you're starting to find avenues to grow that revenue and within a year you're a proper sustainable profitable business right so it's much more uh, much the short term reward is much higher right with microsas mm-hmm. the long term reward is lower if, uh, because like i said you might experience yes. a lot of churn and your business may not have longevity mm-hmm. uh but you if you if you start a microsas product and you're you're making some money on the side that that does a lot for your confidence and now you know that you are capable of building a business so you might start a bigger business later on like yes, like we did with the light chat and and now you're okay waiting a few years to make revenue because you you know at the back of your mind that you've tried the other path where everything's instant and right. you could go back to it if you want to but uh, you also know the pitfalls of it like you know your business don't have doesn't have longevity 
so i think it would be a nice transition uh, if if your goal is to start a big saas company and become like let's say like freshworks mm-hmm. i would say a, a really nice path would be to first start a micro saas mm-hmm. see how that goes and then uh, and then do this yes so you could say that the problem of ease in setting up businesses has been addressed and i think you know the companies or these e-commerce marketplaces like shopify you could say atlassian the, these yeah. have actually enabled that so apart from you know marketing and ease of setting up business what other barriers do you think it could have uh, these marketplaces have actually you know mitigated for young or uh, you know fresh developers who want to get into starting their own business i would say speed of development right Uh, for example shopify has very rich frameworks uh, mm-hmm. that you can use to build an app within a week uh, actually mm-hmm. a weekend uh, the first version of super 11 was built in a weekend mm-hmm. and that was only possible because shopify had this framework called polaris it's polaris. a react based ui framework mm-hmm. which is like basically it works like lego pieces yeah. they give you a bunch of lego pieces and you just join them together and you mm-hmm. have a product ready mm-hmm. that has made it Uh, the ease of development, uh, like the, it's increased the ease of development like anything. Hmm. And now the barrier is very low because even if you're not a full-fledged developer, if you you still you have some aptitude for products hmm. and you know a little bit of code, hmm. you, that is enough for you to build a microservice uh, right. product. Hmm. So I think that's a major thing that these platforms have enabled. Okay, and and what do you see people making of this space? Like sometimes you give people a tool, a new tool, and you see them use it in unprecedented ways. Uh, so like there was this thing that I was actually there's an article that I was reading that was on housing, and there's this German architect who believed that people can assemble their own houses, and he gave them he gave mm-hmm. them tools to do that. and then over the time he just gave them basic tools and over the time he saw people actually doing very innovative things with that like you know the regarding the heating or solar uh, solar heating of the house or you know all those mechanics uh, that are there right. so it's the same with if i if i were to ask you what happens with microsas like you give them give them given them a very powerful tool all right so what are some of the most innovative ideas you're seeing in this space like what are people using it as some of the mind blowing ideas that you might have spe- seen ever since you uh, came into the picture as well um i think my favorite one is this product called getrepeat.io uh-huh. it's it's not it's not mind blowing exactly but it was fascinating how they found a, a way to make more money for merchants mm-hmm. so what they do is uh, when you order something from mm-hmm. shopify or or any e-commerce store Mm-hmm. If it's a product like coffee, for example, we were talking about sleepy mm-hmm. all. Yeah. It's very likely that you'll order another one of that in mm-hmm. in X amount of days. It's it's uh, not a product that you order once and it's done. It yeah. it gets over you order more, mm-hmm. uh, like shampoo also, for example. Yes. So they they created a sort of a subscription uh, for products like these, mm-hmm. where instead of ordering again and again, you can just subscribe, pay a monthly subscription. Mm-hmm. And uh, but many people are doing that though. That's not the innovative part. The innovative part is uh, they send you a link to subscribe uh, to pay to start paying for a monthly subscription. Uh, mm-hmm. As in when you are whenever you place an order normally, and a few a few days after the order, you are expected to run out of that product. Mm-hmm. They send you a link. Uh, when you open the link uh, and you subscribe for 
you you say you accept for this a monthly subscription and you go hmm. forward hmm. before they take you to the checkout page where you pay for it they take you to another page in between hmm. uh where they upsell other products to you oh. because you've decided to pay for the coffee subscription right uh they bend, bundle a bunch of other products together and show you and they say you, you hey you might be interested in this also okay uh why aren't you check this out mm-hmm. uh and this is a page that they created on their own mm-hmm. instead of using uh it's not it's does this page doesn't belong to the actual brand right but out of 1000 people even if 10 20 people actually buy it and click on that and uh, get a subscription for some other product also mm-hmm. they will now show on their dashboard to the merchant that we made this much more money for you right mm-hmm. which is pretty cool because uh, mm-hmm. at least in the e-commerce uh, space people blind just blindly pay for tools that make them money they don't even mm-hmm. care if the tool is buggy or whatever right. if they're paying x amount of money uh, per month mm-hmm. uh, for the saas and the saas is making them 2x or even x plus y mm-hmm. it's a no brainer right they they're making money at that point mm-hmm. they're not losing money so and there are other tools also that have done innovative things around how to generate more revenue for uh, mm-hmm. the merchants I, i think that's the those are the cool things uh, that i've seen i've seen a lot of other small small things also which which are not really uh, i mean they don't translate to revenue a lot mm-hmm. but uh for example some people have made this cart shaker app right uh when when you when you click on a product uh mm-hmm. and now you're checking it out mm-hmm. you've not clicked on checkout yet you're just looking at the product mm-hmm. the checkout button starts getting animated and starts moving around okay <laughs> is the right. moves around uh-huh. jumps up and down as if trying to make you click on it yeah yeah and okay. that actually and just that distraction sometimes makes people click on it and mm. if you end up placing an order the card shaker can now say that because i shook the button this guy placed an order so that means i made money for you right yeah so, so things that yeah. apps are built on such subtle psychological yeah. subconscious yeah. cues right yeah. yes yeah that, that then there are these apps that uh, on the side that you know they just show you this pop ups that Mm-hmm. these many people uh, while you are viewing this product 10 other people have just purchased this product mm-hmm. you know like increasing fomo basically <laughs> right. while you're trying yeah <laughs> isn't that all all you know uh, that's happening with the app space actually whether you talk about your social media or whether you talk about even like these business apps that are springing up on the surface they all tend to sort of you know at the basis at the most fundamental uh, point they are just trying to leverage what uh how things play out psychologically for people yeah yeah <laughs> yes and people are coming up with very interesting ways to actually you know uh, lead you to buy your product or all those things so that is amazing in its way but it's also kind of scary with all the things that you see with you know things like social in movies like social dilemma and all those but yes it definitely is, yes you could innovate it's amazing as an entrepreneur but it's yeah. scary as a consumer yes exactly yeah Yes, as an entrepreneur, you see the opportunity. Yes, but as <laughs> right. a consumer, it is pretty scary. Uh, yeah. What people will are willing to do to make you purchase something. Mm-hmm. That is there. Um, so, like Sankal, now we're going to go back to one point actually, where you mentioned that you know building these apps has become more like assembling Lego blocks to package a solution. It is, 
is it 100% no code or you still need your coding arsenal at certain times so like what's the boundary there it is not i am sure you can build products with 100% no code mm-hmm. but uh, at least the ones that i talked about earlier polaris and all you still need to know how to code it's not 100% no code by any means right. mm-hmm. but the barrier to entry has become much lower yeah In- instead of knowing all the underlying concepts of react for example mm-hmm. you only need to know how polaris works right right so your learning curve has decreased mm-hmm. uh and now if it would have taken you 3 4 months to learn how to code from scratch now it might take you 2 weeks or a month mm mm-hmm. right but you still need to know a little bit of coding uh even if you use a completely no code solution i would highly recommend picking up some framework and uh just learning the 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 basic concepts of how code works in general uh, i think it's really important because a no code solution is great to start off but it mm-hmm. it won't be scalable right if, right. if yes. you start getting a lot of traction and your users start asking for a lot of different things it would be very difficult to accommodate that exactly. in the, the the no code thing that you've used yeah. so Uh, while i'm very happy with this uh, no code trend that's happening uh, mm-hmm. it's enabling people to start something much quickly and with, with very less learning curve yes. i i think it should not result in people not wanting to learn how to code at all because yes. that that i don't think that's the right thing yes but there are also a lot of challenges with no code right like uh, you know no code developments are have limitations like uh, there are limitations on unlimited customization or there's debugging scalability like you mentioned and even security challenges so uh, I, you've already discussed about scalability uh, like w- with your solutions with uh, your with your app what are some of the limitations that you faced and how did you evolve past those challenges these exact challenges like security or unlimited customization uh have you faced them and if so how have you evolved past them uh those uh, basic limitations we we face so many limitations that i can't even remember <laughs> right uh, right now but Uh, so we made a lot of mistakes in the beginning mm-hmm. uh, when we started build, laying out the base architecture of the app we used this framework called nextjs which was not meant for a, a complex application like this okay so firstly we are having to work around that uh, everything the every feature that we have to implement we now have to check if this is possible through nextjs or not mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh, i think the if you want to avoid things like this uh your initial architecture has to be strong we we made some hiring mistakes in the beginning and uh we asked a lot couple of inexperienced people to build the basic the base architecture hmm. that's that's by even that's biting us till today hmm. uh okay. and we face a lot of limitations because of that hmm. so choosing the right framework uh the the right stack for your code uh the these kinds of things it's okay if, even if you sp- take a couple of weeks trying to make this decision but mm-hmm. if you don't do this correctly in the beginning you'll end up facing a lot of problems so yeah firstly we faced an issue because of choosing the wrong framework we continue to face a lot of limitations due to that mm-hmm. uh and then i remember one of the things we struggled the most was to uh, so uh, like i mentioned our tool has all types of support channels including yeah. email Mm-hmm. and it's hard to believe but building an email client is really hard 
Uh-huh. Like it's 2022, and email is like the oldest technology we've we've had. Even then, figuring out all the nuances with mm-hmm. an email is really tough. Uh, like starting with things like uh, when you send an email to somebody and they reply back, it needs to show in under the same thread. Mm-hmm. Right, it shouldn't be created as a new ticket or or a new conversation. Yes, yes. Okay. So figuring out how to do that took a lot of time. and then uh, figuring out how to keep our spam score low that mm-hmm. also took a lot of time and we are still struggling with that actually that problem is not fully solved because mm-hmm. uh, people use our platform to send emails mm-hmm. a lot of people uh, all our customers use our platform to send emails and if one customer sends a lot of spam because you are we are using the same email server underneath uh, mm-hmm. the, the whole uh, our whole ip address sort of loses reputation. Hmm. Uh so next time we send emails using that IP address they end up going into the spam, spam. folder and the customer is like but we not send anything any spammy hmm. stuff why is it going into this into the spam folder? Then we have to figure out that you need separate IP addresses for uh people who are not your paying customers yet a separate hmm. one for paying ones a separate one for uh, high valued customers hmm. and hmm. you needed to do the segregation segregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our architecture was not built in a way to allow the segregation so it took a lot of time to work around that um and then another huge limitation we faced was with uh the facebook apis mm-hmm. uh, they keep so because we integrate with the facebook dms and comments and instagram dms and comments we had to uh become a developer on the facebook uh framework and right. create an app there and uh connected to delight chat uh facebook's documentations are not great they don't update them very often mm-hmm. and they change things up without telling you and then one day the app just breaks and you don't know why it's breaking mm-hmm. uh, you take some time debugging and then you realize that okay facebook has changed their api yeah so the by virtue of having to integrate with a lot of third party uh products we ended up facing a lot of limitations right so i guess it's it would be easier if your product doesn't depend on any other platform and mm. it's like a standalone thing mm. but again that's very hard to do in today's world right and also uh, since i have uh, been involved with cyber security or information security for the most part for the last two years and i have like sort of picked this domain i'm always interested in asking these this question to people uh, and especially in your case how do small businesses take care of cyber security so i think somewhere in one of your blog posts you had mentioned about this ddos attack that happened on your server by a competitor yeah so uh like when it comes to cyber security or security in you know general is it a part of your framework strategic framework or when you're building a small or, or a business it is still considered something secondary as you're still gaining momentum so how is security looked at overall uh, when it comes to small businesses to be very honest it, it is a secondary thing for us right now right. because uh, there are much more burning problems mm-hmm. uh our system itself is not very stable at the moment because we, we we are suddenly seeing a lot of usage that we didn't have before right and usually that continues for a long period of time so our priority is to make the system stable uh to ensure that uh if we leave the product in the, in its current state for a few months mm-hmm. it's going to continue running and the mrr will keep growing and it's it's close to autopilot 
Hmm. And that is when we tend to start looking at security. Hmm. But uh, reality is not like that. Uh, what usually happens is somebody does some DDoS attack or tries to hack the system or tries to send a bunch of spam emails for our system. Then we have to stop whatever we are doing hmm. and just focus on that and rectify that problem. Hmm. So uh, our our system security has been. we've been slowly upgrading it as and when these incidents happen mm-hmm. because you actually won't get to know also what all things you need to right. do until an incident occurs like till that ddos attack happened we didn't know that we had to reiterate the request till right. people start send, started to send spam emails we didn't know that we needed a way to prevent that right so more of a now, responsive framework like more of a responsive framework, yeah okay yeah right. yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh i guess that's not a great thing uh for a, I, i don't think our customers would be happy to hear that but that's that's generally how it goes cuz it's really hard to predict what all could go wrong in the beginning itself mm-hmm. and you could pay money to a bunch of these uh, security consultants and get them to solve all these problems but mm-hmm. we we don't have enough funds to do that either uh and in between we start getting these emails from various like these independent you know these bounty hunters who uh-huh. find faults in your system yes yes uh, and they send you email that i we found this vulnerability you need to fix it uh-huh. and can you reward us also mm-hmm. you know, for finding this uh so the, that has been happening and some of them have been helpful some of them were just trying to fish yes uh so yeah that's another thing Okay. Uh now that is that is actually thank you for that honest <laughs> you have been really honest in describing how things are actually going on there but yes I always you know because I want to understand this myself like what what is the sentiment around security like what what are people doing uh, are people aware enough what are the challenges that they are facing so uh, it helps to always start a conversation with someone on this and you know try to understand in real time what yeah, actually yeah. is happening. uh but going back uh, to our initial conversation uh, so you mentioned all the challenges that you have faced uh, while you know developing your business and but what are those uh, you could say these key qualities that have enabled you or you could say that uh, that you have or you know it could be the strength of your team it could be your own personal strengths what are those key qualities that have, that have enabled you to evolve past those uh, challenges I mean yes you face a problem and then you no it's like you you're not problem free right everyone faces their own share, yeah. share of problems but then how you solve them actually ends up defining you as a business because that's how you know that okay you have fought through really tough times and then you've come through them so now you know your shit so yeah. what are those qualities what are those pillars that have enabled you your team maybe in you and Pritam your team and all uh to wade through those challenges easily or just wait through those challenges right so firstly i think we we have a decent uh, hold on how to manage chaos mm-hmm. uh, by virtue of uh, all the startups we work for in, in the past and 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 in, the, in these almost 2 years of running delight chat right because hundreds of things are breaking every day uh, customers are asking for hundreds of things mm-hmm. uh, we also need to focus on we, we also have to make sure that we we have enough runway to do everything that we plan to do mm-hmm. so at any given time we have 10 problems to look at easily uh, which creates a lot of chaos so 
we we started doing these uh, daily stand ups now which we didn't have before mm-hmm. we, we didn't think that was needed before but ever since we started doing those it had uh, two effects firstly we had a good idea of what we were going to do through, throughout mm-hmm. the day uh when there are 10 problems to look at you can't look at all of them so mm. you have to ruthlessly prioritize yes and we would spend 10 minutes in the day in the morning to just prioritize three things mm. out of those 10 things mm-hmm. and then we would tell ourselves that on the remaining seven things no matter how catastrophic they are we won't think about those right now we'll try to remove them from our brain and then mm. we'll only focus on those three things mm-hmm. uh and then at the end of the day if those three things get done uh it felt good because we felt like we are a, a little closer to reducing our our chaos mm-hmm. yeah. so the ability to ruthlessly prioritize is one quality that we developed uh, over the years and it it's helped us and it continues to help us mm-hmm. uh in a lot of things mm-hmm. uh so that is one thing the other thing is the ability to find the right person inside our circle uh, yes. who's capable of solving the problem that we are currently facing mm-hmm. so we have a lot of investors uh, we have advisors we have friends mm-hmm. uh, all of these are people that are pot- that could potentially help us solve a problem mm-hmm. and whenever we face a problem we instead of thinking we we'll, uh, we should only figure out how to solve this we should look up ourselves try to do research and look at uh, other people's code or and, and just figure out how to solve this mm-hmm. our first or the first step that we take is generally not that we we never think that we should only solve this problem right what we what we do first is we see if there is a saas tool that already solves this problem correct and if we just throw money at this problem it will go away mm-hmm. by paying for that saas tool <clears throat> that's the first thing we look at so we start googling uh Uh, SaaS tools for X, mm-hmm. and if we find one that solves our problem, great. Uh, we immediately pay for it, integrate it. Uh, not immediately. We we make sure that it's a stable product that's been around for a while. We see who who which other companies use it. If uh, we see a lot of green flags, we go ahead mm-hmm. uh, pay for the tool and we move on. Right. If we don't find a SaaS tool that already does it. then we start looking at our network of people and f- find out who's the best suited to solve this if it's a tech problem then we look at uh the people who are good at tech in in our in our circle like uh, we have a lot of investors who are ceos in their companies mm-hmm. so we reach out to them set up a call with them explain them the problem and uh, when when they they'll they suggest a few solutions Hmm. everybody suggests a few solutions <clears throat> then we look at those solutions we look at our existing limitations right and we filter those solutions and now we have three four leads that we can look at and we follow those leads mm-hmm. so uh, I, i guess in terms of to sim uh, to put it in simple words the quality here would be to the ability to know that you can't solve this problem yourself mm-hmm. either pay for somebody else who's done it or find somebody else who's good at this but don't sit and try and solve this yourself yeah uh this is another thing that's actually and... the first time i'm hearing uh, someone say that actually because a lot of people you know who believe in uh you know what is that wishful thinking will say oh you should get everything done by yourself you should be all... but you know i think no. you highlight a very very important point and a message to people that you know uh, leveraging your contacts or having the or fi- uh, having the right people in your circle 
uh, and you know leveraging those. I'm sorry, I'm using the word word leveraging, but it's in like we are speaking in no, professional sense, it's, right? But yeah, leveraging yeah, those yeah. Uh, in order to sp solve a specific problem or anything that you might face is actually key uh, to growth and momentum. So you know, yeah, uh, thank yeah. you for highlighting that actually, because not a lot of people would say that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no worries. Because we generally we we always tell ourselves that we don't know anything. Yeah. And we if we're gonna sit and try and figure it out, either we'll come up with a half baked solution, hmm. or we'll yes. end up spending a lot of time coming up with a good solution which somebody already came up with. So now we lost time, right? Hmm. Yes. And that's that's not a smart thing to do. Right. So yeah, that's uh, that's one thing that we're proud of. Uh, that we've developed over the years. <clears throat> yeah. Apart from that, we've there's another skill that we've not really developed very well, but we're in the process of it, and it's it's taking much more uh, much longer than we thought. Hmm. Is the ability to gauge somebody uh, like at the time of hiring, mm -hmm. the ability to gauge if that person is the right person for you to to, to work with or not. Right. Even whether it's a full-time person or a freelancer, mm -hmm. there are these inherent things that uh, can't really put in words. But when you speak to them, you get the sense uh, right. that okay, this person would be mm -hmm. great to work with. Uh, sometimes you meet people who are really good at in their domain, mm -hmm. but are not the right cultural fit exactly. uh, to work with. Yes. And earlier, we didn't have the ability to find out if. That person, we would only look at their uh, tech capability or marketing or whatever whatever domain we're hiring them right. for. We would only look at that. We would discard all the other things. But after all the mistakes we made, we realized that the other things are actually more important. Uh, because even if the person is not that great in, in their domain, they can learn. And can like learn. I said, there's always Google. You don't need mm -hmm. to know the solution to everything. Right. Uh, you just need to find somebody who knows how what to Google at what point of time, and that's usually more that usually solves the problem. So right. we developed this sort of a sense uh, when we talk to people, where we get to know if we should work with them or not. Yeah, this makes complete sense because even uh, now that I'm leaving my uh, former company, I was put in charge for actually interviewing a lot of people, and I think I conducted around ten to twelve. And you would find these people who are trained specifically in one skill, but they don't know anything about any, they lack communication right. skills. Or even, you know, if you sort of ask them something else, which they don't know, how do they arrive at that answer? So over the time, I discussed this with uh, my uh, the person who put me in charge for this. And I'm like, dude, I am not really satisfied. I don't think that these people can represent a brand like us uh, sitting like at the uh, at a client facing role. So right. we were like, okay, you know, she was like, yeah, because these skills that we were, these tech skills that we were essentially hiring for were highly trainable. Like, trust me, because mm -hmm. I, I was the, the same, uh, I had been put up for the same tech skills and I learned them within like four days. I mean, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> so that's like, uh, these are highly trainable. These are high, they can be learned and acquired really easily. But all those other things. Uh, when I sat at the client uh, with the client, I actually learned all those things because we were supposed to talk with seven geographical zones. And now there are people of different accents and they have different understanding of the things. How do you communicate to them? And I think I learned right. all of that, not only communication, but all of th those things, you know, being a little smart, thinking long term, all those things I learned while sitting there.
and it just felt like you know people came with those specific skills but they didn't come come up with a comprehensive skill uh, you know skill set of all those other things that we often discard because we are only looking for right. these things yeah. so i think yeah. this is also one of the lessons that we learned and after the first half of the first uh, week or two weeks after the in, uh, these interviews we're like okay we're only going to look for these things we pry we're going right. to gauge them based on these skills and then you won't believe 15 20 people we interviewed but we only sort of passed them we only passed two of them <laughs> so that was a little yeah this, this is a harsh learning for us also uh but then yes that's great true. though because it it took us almost a year and a bunch of bad hires to come to this realization <laughs> so you i would say you you're much ahead that's it you realize it within a couple of weeks mm-hmm. so uh, uh this uh, sankalp what are you currently working on with delight chat uh if you don't mind disclosing what's on the road map and also somewhere you yeah. mentioned that you like putting your uh, putting multiple eggs in your basket or eggs in multiple baskets something like that so what are your plans ahead do you wish to do anything apart from delight chat or what's the overall road map what does the overall road map look like right so delight chat's road map right now uh, very simple we are focusing on whatsapp marketing mm-hmm. and we are going to do everything possible to make money for people through whatsapp mm-hmm. and uh, the challenge is to do this uh, by building as little as possible mm-hmm. uh, because we had this idea to build a, a journey builder of sorts with with like a comprehensive ui so something okay. like web web engage has a queue mm-hmm. you know web engage where you can drag and drop stuff you can say that this user did this then did this then did not do this then oh, send them this okay. message uh-huh. and uh, but we quickly realized that building something like that is going to be like building a whole new startup within mm-hmm. a startup mm-hmm. so now it's about finding the easiest way to build, achieve the same thing mm-hmm. but without with, without this fancy ui mm-hmm. maybe by using uh, just just a form where you configure everything that uh, all the conditions that would require you to send a whatsapp message right so we're going to focus on that uh, we, we are going to focus on building a maybe a preliminary chatbot of sorts which mm-hmm. which would take away a lot of uh, pain because right now what happens is we send we have this feature where you can send a broadcast message like i mentioned uh, you mm-hmm. can upload a csv mm-hmm. now people upload a csv with 1 lakh contacts mm-hmm. and send them messages most of them are bound to reply right uh, so now their tickets have increased the volume mm-hmm. of their tickets have increased mm-hmm. so their next requirement is how do i reduce some of these tickets automatically okay uh, mm-hmm. using a bot mm-hmm. so uh, we we're going to focus on that uh we are going to build a basic crm mm-hmm. uh which is going to keep track of what a particular user did at what point of time mm-hmm. uh like they they've placed so and so orders they've created this much of revenue for you mm-hmm. uh the timeline of everything that they've done right which which we can show our customers right there when they're talking to uh that particular customer uh, we'll show it on the side who this customer is and what what their history is that's something people have been asking for a while mm-hmm. uh that's also there on our roadmap <clears throat> but yeah the the primary thing is to build uh more whatsapp automation features right. uh get feedback from customers after we build them as to what more they need and use using that feedback to enhance those features mm-hmm. uh that's going to be the roadmap for 
for i would say this entire year hmm. uh but before doing that we we plan to take a couple of months making our product stable right because uh, so last year uh, around Dece- end of december is when we decided to switch gears and take the whatsapp route Mm-hmm. and then we ended up building the first version within a couple of weeks mm. so there are a lot of issues in the system there's a lot of bottlenecks it was built in a very hacky way mm-hmm. and now that the usage has increased a lot uh, those hacks they helped us come till this far but uh, we, we we've hit the limit on those right so we're going to spend a couple of months just streamlining that removing all these bottlenecks and making the system very very stable right now it feels like there is a dam that's about to burst there are holes coming out of the dam and we are literally <laughs> holding them with our own hands right now yeah uh, what we want to do is reinforce this dam with some cement and some metal rods or something like that yeah to, to give you an analogy hmm. that so we'll end, we'll take 2 to 3 months to do that and then after that we'll build uh, these uh, whatsapp automation features hmm that's that's the road map as far as the light chat is concerned and uh, regarding what you said about the other thing about putting eggs <laughs> in multiple baskets yeah. my perspective on that has changed actually uh-huh. uh back when uh, in 2021 when things were not things were going really bad and we were almost like depressed with the light chat's progress mm-hmm. pritam and i started working on something on the side called daily habits uh, okay. which is a which is a habit tracker Yeah. And and we're like okay if one thing doesn't work let's have multiple things running on side and one of them is bound to work. Mm. How wrong were we? <laughs> uh mm-hmm. we, it took us didn't take us much time to realize that no matter what you build it takes bandwidth you still have to spend the same yes. amount of effort to, to it's not like you can build something leave it out there and it's going to work on its own. Mm-hmm. you still have to put effort in talking to the people who are using using that product and then enhancing it further using their feedback figuring out some pricing model which works uh if people aren't willing to pay for it so for, for example we realized that people aren't willing to pay for a habit tracker tool mm-hmm. uh, you can't sell that like a saas uh, and the only way to make money out of something like that is maybe to sell a course or to sell a physical product like a journal or something mm-hmm. uh so it's a lot of effort and then then we started to regroup and we thought it's going to take a lot of effort to build anything correct we might as well focus on the one thing that's take that has the highest probability of uh mm-hmm. success and the the one with the highest roi mm-hmm. which is the light chat only which is what we are working on right now mm-hmm. and instead of diluting some of our time to work on something else which may bring in some amount of reward mm-hmm. versus using all our time into our main thing which is uh, which has more probability of the reward being much higher and i wouldn't say higher probability of success but the roi would be much higher right if if it succeeds yes so I, we decided to not to check everything else not not work on multiple things at the same time that's why i even stopped writing blog posts mm. uh, i've not written anything in a while because that was also taking a bandwidth i would yeah. spend almost the whole of saturday mm. writing the blog and then on sunday i would edit it and publish so on the weekends would also go away yes um, 
and then i i decided to not spend too much time on anything else until delight side starts working it's reached a stable position where it is for the most part on autopilot hmm. and if not we have enough people in the team to make sure that things are working fine even if me and pritam are not not in the picture 24/7 yes so the goal is to reach that stage before we can even consider having multiple baskets or multiple eggs or whatever is the yes right right phrase yeah uh so i i think the uh, winding up question there sankalp would be is i i like asking cuz i've been reading this book called the fourth industrial revolution by klaus schwab the chairman of the world economic forum so it's a very interesting book and it talks about the fourth industrial revolution that we're going through with these latest technologies like you know uh, you know gene editing or or autonomous vehicles self driving vehicles or new materials or even you know blockchain technologies and he describes right. that how the physical world is actually uh, you know uh, sort of tying up with the virtual world and how that can benefit our society sort of like in a way that it brings a lot of changes in it uh, unprecedented uh, unprecedented changes but then it could also prove to be detrimental if we are not really you know ahead of the game on this one so uh round way if, like if i were to ask you what are what are some of the most uh some of the technologies that excite you the most uh what would they be um well to be very honest all the technologies that i'm hearing of these days they are scaring me more than <laughs> exciting me especially this metaverse thing going right. on it's, it's scary mm. i don't mm. I, i don't want i'm sure it's going to happen cuz uh facebook makes these moves knowing that something is about to happen right. and now they're like uh, all we are going all in on vr so i'm sure vr is going to take off in a big way mm-hmm. but i'm not particularly excited about it yeah. i think uh, i'm excited about some aspects of vr mm-hmm. for example there's vr for fitness mm-hmm. you can wear this you can wear the device which is yes. now light enough and uh, you you have a boxing simulator you have a tennis simulator stuff yeah. like that mm-hmm. so you can use vr to keep yourself fit in in normal circumstances you would need a tennis court or a or a boxing ring or mm-hmm. stuff and that's going away now mm-hmm. so that part of vr excites me uh, i'm definitely going to be a customer for something for, for a fitness based vr uh, but at the same time the other aspects of vr scare me like the the part where you you're just going to wear the headset and sit all day and all do nothing day. and just yes. everything you're doing is in inside the virtual world that part scares me uh and then uh, apart from that uh the, i think one major thing going on right now is web 3.0 yeah. so everyone's talking about uh, uh-huh. the, this these nfts and tokens NFTs, and stuff yes, exactly. yeah again it doesn't uh excite me exactly but I, I see some sort of a valid use case for mm-hmm. web 3.0 mm-hmm. i just don't know what it is yet mm-hmm. then i'm excited to find out what it is i'm just waiting to see if then somebody comes up with a good use case for this because right now everybody is whoever talks about web 3.0 they're like oh you can do this with web 3.0 you can do that yeah but i'm like okay but what have but you done what is what yeah. have you done and what's the how is this going to make my life easier mm-hmm. no one's explained that to me yet Mm-hmm. I can buy an NFT for a million dollars, but how is that? 
how's that yes. enhancing society as a whole makes sense uh, yes. is not clear to me right now mm-hmm. but i do think that there is some very real use case hidden somewhere in web 3.0 and i'm excited to find out what that is mm. uh, so there's that and yeah i think that's pretty much it uh, not able to remember off the top of my head what other new technologies are out there there's blockchain and i think that has gained uh, a quite a lot of momentum now uh, yeah i think like blockchain also comes within the i would yeah. say within the web 3.0 spectrum as yeah, a whole uh, the whole decent decentralized yeah. smart contracts and stuff uh, but yeah then no that's okay that's uh, <laughs> yeah but actually it makes a lot of sense whatever you've said uh, we are still yet to assess uh, you know what detriment they could bring but a lot of, the concern that a lot of people have that these things these technologies are highly scalable now we have to ensure that they smoothly integrate with our fabric of life for example any new innovation comes like electricity came then a lot there were concerns or even driving cars cars when you know vehicles bumped uh, hit up the road it actually was like it, i i was surprised to find out that i was used that used to be a concern for a lot of people because of the you know accidents and all those things okay. uh, that could happen because of that but then it actually smoothly integrated because of a lot of actions uh, by authorities you could say a lot of um, actions by a lot of stakeholders that actually helped it and sink in with the fabric of life very smoothly and okay. i think one some one of the biggest concerns with these technologies are they are highly scalable and fa- fast i'm sorry so you know any that enabling that smooth transition will become even more important in this case otherwise we could actually end up in a dystopian world so yeah, let's yeah. we are yet to see what's there because we cannot fully gauge the impact but a lot of people are you know sort of positive a lot of people are like okay we are kind of neutral about it cuz anything can happen from here on so True. yes that's there but anyway sankalp uh, i think that's going to be the last of it uh, thank you for coming up on the show and actually you know i had a pretty co- comprehensive you know conversation on all these things with you you didn't not only paint a rosy picture like okay these are the benefits that you know uh, come up, come with opening your own business but yeah these are all the, also other things that you need to look at this is like something that i was trying to uh, i was expecting from the conversation that you could actually paint a very comprehensive picture for all of us and you did that with great success and i think you have yes, touched upon all the aspects i tried my best <laughs> yes yes uh, you did touch up on all the aspects and i think this can give a give our viewers a fair idea of what things are and how do they want to go uh, about it uh, from here on and listening to people who are innovating something new is always you know something that i admire you know lo- love the most and I, it was a great conversation uh, with you and i would definitely love to stay on touch with your progress you know uh, what what you guys are doing what uh, progress you've made what uh, you know other things that you have planned in your roadmap have you been able to you know achieve those i definitely right. love that love reading your blog post because <laughs> the last week that i was researching on you to sort of prepare for the material for this podcast i looked through all your blog posts and it was so refreshing to read those like yeah these guys are actually on to something and uh, def- it's definitely something that i would urge a lot of people to you know look at if they're remotely interested in this space so yes thank you thank i mean thanks thanks a lot for that and it's thank thanks for having me it's it's i've actually really enjoyed this cuz i've not 
so far in a long time just sat down and dumped all of my thoughts uh, for an hour <laughs> yes. uh, more than an hour actually and mm-hmm. it feels good feels like my brain is empty now and it's a, yeah, yeah, it's a good that. feeling I yeah. think that that's where my my uh, goal has been achieved, <laughs> right? Great. Yes. So thank you, Sankalp. Uh, let's stay in touch on the offline. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, thank you for coming. It was a great talk. Great. Thanks a lot for having me.